think we would all say that we love certain things about the church. Some of us love the trappings that come along with the church. Some of us love where we meet for church. And when you're talking about loving the church, look around. It's not pillars, it's not ceilings, it's not lights, it's not brick and mortar, it's people. So just so you know, that's what we're talking about. It's When we say ministry, we don't mean programs, as Pastor Nathan uh, called us to a few weeks ago. It's people work is what ministry is. Church, the church, are the blood-bought sinners who have now become saints through the gospel, and these people are you and me. If you read tonight's chapter that we're going to cover tonight, you will recognize this statement, though. When When you talk about being a church member... A lot of times, membership is something that gets lost in it. Um, And so, we're going to be looking tonight at what that means as a church member. What does it mean to serve? And again, when I say I love the church, we mean people. So when we say I love to serve, guess who you're serving? People. (laughs) So this is a common theme that's going to run all the way through this series. We are serving one another. But a lot of times when you think of membership, you think of maybe something like this. And as American Express used to say, membership has its privileges. Membership to a lot of us means what's in it for me, or WIFMs as people call them. It means perks. It means I get something out of it. And there's a fascination with with this in our culture. Always has been, it seems, but especially today. It seems like you can't go anywhere without someone saying, hey, you want to be in our club? I mean, you haven't lived if if you're not part of our club. Oh, tell me more about it. Well, if you you get this card and you come 29,000 times, we can get this special prize at the end. Or, or, hey, you can rack up all these points. What they won't tell you is you have to spend lots of money to get those points, but, but, but you get points, and you're a part of this exclusive club that everyone's a part of. And, it, it, and, they just, and they want you to, to join their club. Some of us are part of the exclusive Sam's Club. You know what I'm talking about. You walk in, you have your special card that has your photo on the back. You get to shop and get all kinds of groceries in bulk. It's great to walk out with a truckload of groceries, you know, just because you have that special card. It only costs you $35 a year to do that. But it's not just grocery stores that want that. It's also department stores. Hey, you're going to get in on special discounts if you're a part of our club, like 5% on your next purchase. How about this? How about a magazine? You know, hey, if you subscribe to our magazine, we'll give you one free issue. And that's not all. For $19.95, we'll also give you this. This marketing strategy has worked, hasn't it? In our economy. It's not just those things I mentioned. It's gas stations. I mean, it's kind of like one... The reason why I shop at Kroger is so I can get cheaper gas. Uh, you know, I'm, maybe some of you are, are like me in that. Because you get those special points. How about gym memberships or coffee shops? Hey, you're part of the Starbucks... I'm a, hey, I'm a Starbucks Gold member, you know? I can get a free shot of espresso. How about you? How about golf courses and bookstores? I mean, 
They're all trying to say, be a part of our club, and your wallet can be like that thick because you have all these cards stuck in there. Everyone wants you to join their club, and they give you 101 reasons why you should join, and you are at the center of all of those reasons. It begins and ends with what you want as the customer. So in our crazed culture, that as it is, when you hear the word church membership, it would be very easy for you to think, okay, this is just one, one more thing. The church is going to ask me to do something, or going to ask me to contribute something. Or maybe you think, the opposite. Maybe you think, well, what's in it for me here? I mean, I'm, I'm putting my, my money in the plate. I should be getting something. So how do you view the church? How do you view this thing called the called-out body of Christ? I'd like for us to reframe the way we look at membership. I have some uh, quotes here that I want to point out to you. When, you, when you're looking at what is a church? What is church membership? I want to read these to you. Born again, we become members of Christ's royal family, members of his body, living stones in his temple, even spiritually one with him in marriage as his bride. In other words, the church is its membership. See the difference? It's not like, hey, come join our club. Once you once you uh, come through Jesus Christ, you are a member of his body. You are in the bridal party. You are a living stone in his temple, in, the, in his building. You are a part now of his body. See the difference between joining a club versus becoming a part of Jesus and what he is doing. With the biblical view of membership, though, we are reminded about what? A couple of things here. Who we are and what we're called to do. Because I'm a part of the body, I am going to be able now to do this. Because I am um, called now to be a living stone or spiritually one with him as, as his bride, that means there's implications now for my life. So even before we get to what service looks like, I want you to see where your identity is. It's not that you are a card-carrying member of Timberlake Baptist Church with all its rights and privileges thereunto. Okay? It's, it's so much more than that. What else does it say? It also says here, this quote is so, is so helpful for us. It says this way, membership bolsters the church's calling to be a gospel community displaying the power and wisdom of God. Do you view that as one of your membership privileges to display the wisdom and power of God? Well, it gets even better. In short, membership does not add something extra to the church. It enables the church to be the church both now and for generations to come. So remember, the church, if the church is people, okay, and not just an event on your calendar or not just, it's not a building, you know, we gather as a church. We don't necessarily go to church. You see the difference? It's an identity. It's not a place. It's who you are. And so that identity, you have to unpack that. You have to understand, who am I? as a church member, as part of Christ's body, his bride, his building, his priesthood, as, as an ambassador for Christ. But unfortunately, we don't look at membership that way at times. We pick a church based on what we want, what will make us feel good, what's going to work for me. I mean, when I drive on the church campus, I want... My parking spot. I mean, we all know what, where that is, right? 
And if we don't get that spot, we've got a plan B in mind. If someone's taken that, we get frustrated. We want to be able to walk in the door and, and be greeted the way we want to be greeted. We want our kids to be in a state-of-the-art program. Want to go and listen to an entertaining service that leaves us feeling good and gets me out on time so I can hit the restaurants. I want them to bow to my traditions and my preferences. I want everyone to reorder things to make me feel at home because it's all about my comforts. The church, though, is not about these temporal things. The church is about sacrificing our lives to take the gospel and the glory of Christ to the ends of the earth. The church is about Jesus. So you should be about Jesus. You should be about his plan because he's the chief shepherd. I'm an under-shepherd of Christ. Christ is the one calling the shots. He is the head. We are the body. The head directs the body. The brain is the control center. It directs what the body does. So the goal here is for us tonight is to look at what the church is. What this, And I want to choose one of the metaphors above, the body of Christ. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians 12 and look at this in depth. And then at the end, we're going to wrap up with how do we serve? And you will have to answer the question at the end, do I love to serve in the way the Bible calls me to? as part of the body of Christ. So let's look at, first of all, the body of Christ defined. As you turn to 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to look at a couple of definitions that I think will be helpful for us. Number one, Mark Dever has a very helpful book called Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. I'm sure some of you have read it. He says this, The church is the body of people called by God's grace through faith in Christ to glorify Him by serving Him in, his, in this world. We're called by God's grace through faith in Christ to glorify not ourselves but Him by serving Him in this world. What else? We are a group of called out ones. We've been called out of, not not just out of our homes to gather in this location. We've been called out of what? Darkness and into light. We've been called out of of this world now to be separate, to be sanctified, set apart for God's use. Ecclesia, that's what you see, the word assembly, to come together. That's the word for church in our English translation, and that is what we are. We are an ecclesia. We are an assembly. We've been called out of darkness and into light to serve together. It's a group of called out ones who are united in Christ. It is a living organism whose life is derived from Christ himself. And this is not an organization or a club. It is a living organism. It is something that derives life from Christ. And it is his plan A, not Christ's plan B. There is no plan B. This is God's plan A. And the church does something else. This is something we need to always remind ourselves of. When we are going around Lynchburg, we gather here together. When we're serving one another, guess what you are to do? Guess what I am to do? We are to put God's truth on display. It is the gospel made visible for the world around us. It makes Christ visible as we are known for our love for one another. The local church is what makes the truth evident and visible for the world to see. And you say, well, how do you know that? Look at 1 Timothy 3:15. We are the pillar and support of the truth. This time last year, I had the opportunity to go to Ephesus. 
and to Corinth, all these places in, in Greece and Rome. And, what, and when, you, when I went to Corinth and when I went to Ephesus, you would see these, these huge temples that would have these that huge columns that would support these massive structures on top for everyone to see. Most of the time they were on high, higher elevation places, so be in full view of the city. And when Paul's writing that to Timothy, he's saying, you are to be the pillar and buttress of the truth. You are to, it is to be clearly visible for everyone to see, supporting that truth, proclaiming that truth, embodying that truth. So when you think of what the body of Christ is, when you think of what the church is, I want you to think of these biblical things here where we look at God's truth being put on display, being united in Christ, being called out to serve together being called by God's grace. So let's look at this metaphor. The body of Christ displayed here in 1 Corinthians 12. I'm just going to begin reading in verse 12 and go to uh, verse 27. So you just follow along with me, okay? Verse 12. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. We were all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason that any the less a part of the body. If the ear says, because I'm not an eye... I am not a part of the body. It is not for this reason any that it is less than, the part of, than any other part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now... There are many members, but one body. And, continuing this thought, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again the head to the foot, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are, watch this, necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become more presentable whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to the member which lacked, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. What's going on in this body of Christ that is displayed? What's going on here in 1 Corinthians 12? We don't have time to just to go through every single aspect of this, but as it applies to our series here, it's very helpful for us to have this in our mind when we're thinking about serving one another. We are all different parts of the whole. Membership means that we are all necessary parts of the whole. 
And we are different, but we still work together. Within the body of Christ, there is harmonious unity within the diversity of its parts. Paul takes the physical body says, and here, this is, this is something that you'll understand. <laughs> he says, as the body is one, yet has many members, all the members of the body, they are many, but they are one body. And he goes on to talk about different members of the body and how they work in tandem with one another. You cannot take a physical body and put an arm here and a leg there and a head here and a head there, a couple of feet over here, and say, okay, body, go out and do something. Everything has to be placed in its proper place. A body is a unit or it does not exist. So that means that every part of the body, every part of the body here at Timberlake is necessary. And if we detach, then we are dead. We function as a unit or we don't function at all. Do you think that Paul is emphasizing something here for us? I believe so. He is emphasizing unity. He's also emphasizing diversity. Now, listen. Unity, though, is not uniformity. Not everyone here does the same thing. And unity isn't always union, which means everyone thinks the same way. Diversity means that every single one of us are different, but that we are all to be one. And I think the body is the best illustration for that. Look at your hands. How different are they than your eyes or your ears or your nose or your feet or your legs? They're all different, but if, you, but if at any given time, okay, if you, don't, if you don't have those things, your body is incomplete and is going to suffer. I think he's emphasizing unity here. He's saying, listen, we are one. We came by one spirit into one body. And it doesn't matter who you are, a Jew or a Greek, which covers everybody here, Jews and Gentiles, whether you're a slave or whether you're free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. And so, because of that, because we're not separate bodies running around, doing our own things, we have to learn how to work together. We came through one way, Jesus Christ, the one way, the one truth, the one life, the one door, Jesus. And because we are one body, we've been baptized into one spirit. And so that's where our unity grows. It's not because, hey, I knew we would be a part of the same body here at Timberlake because we think alike. Or, we, or hey, we like some of the same things. Or we have some of the same gifts. We're going to get along great because you're just like me. That, that's not what he's saying here. The hand is going to get along great with another hand, right? But what about a hand and, and the eye? Completely different in form and function, but they work together, and they must work together. We've been called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ. We're all part of His body. Like I said before, we've been called out of darkness by God into His light, out of death into life. And there's no room for boasting. There's no, room, there's no hierarchy here. As you can see here, it's not like, well, because I'm the hand, I'm more important. Because I'm the eye, I, I have an edge over everyone else. No, we are called to lead a life worthy of his calling, worthy of the calling that Christ has given us. But there's no room for boasting. 
We are all supposed to be one working together. So within the body of Christ, number two under this, each member is essential to the other. And what you're going to see here is there's two warnings here. One is a positive warning. One's a negative warning. The negative warning says to us, don't ever say this to one another. I don't need you. Verse 21 says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Head to the feet, I have no need of you. I don't need that kind of person, or I don't need that kind of thinking in this church. I wish, I wish they would just stop coming. If you've ever thought that, that is anti-1 Corinthians 12. We must all look at each person and say, that person is needful, not just for the body at large, but for me. See, I think if we start saying that we don't need certain people here, that is a, is a profound mistake. Paul says here, on the contrary, we should not be looking at it that way. We should be saying even the ones that appear to be weaker are necessary. Even, he says here, even the less presentable members are necessary, and God bestows honor upon them. What about, what about people in our, in our body who are unable to serve in the same way, in the same capacity, with the same level of energy as you? Do you look down upon them? Or do you say, no, they're just as needful as someone else? What about our shut-ins? What about people in our church who are mentally challenged? Are they less needful? Can we do without them? You know? I mean, what could they contribute to the membership? They shouldn't have the same privileges as me. No, you came, we all came in one way, Jesus Christ. There is no hierarchy. There is no, I'm better than you, or I don't need you. Every single one of those people are necessary and essential for this church. Because guess who put everyone here? Did you put everyone here? Did I put everyone here? Did we send a... Um, 70 years ago, was that, was that in the... Uh, the church charter that we go out and only pick the people that we want here in, in Lynchburg and it's this exclusive club. No, the Bible tells us here that God is the one who fits us together in his body. He's the one who puts the hand here. He's the one that puts the feet here. He's the one who puts the ears here. You see the, you see the metaphor here? How did, how did you get your ears, literally your ears and your mouth and your nose? Who gave that to you? Sunday school answers. Jesus. Right, okay. But guess what? Just, just like that illustration, just like that metaphor, just, just like God fit you together in your mother's womb, knitted you together perfectly, just as he wanted you to, that is the imagery that we see here in 1 Corinthians 12. He is knitting together his church just like he wants it. And some of us have the audacity to look at that and go, I, I, don't, I don't like that, that picture. I, don't, I wish I was a hand. I wish I was a foot. How come I have to be the eye? Come on. And we start griping and complaining, instead of, as Romans 12, 16 says, be of the same mind toward one another. Don't be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Don't be wise in your own estimation. Beware of the temptation to feel and think that there are certain kinds of people that aren't needed. Because if you do have that attitude, if I start having that attitude, division is on the way. Look at what it says here. God has composed the body, giving more abundant honor, verse 24, to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division within the body. 
Those members that appear to be weaker are necessary. They are essential. Humility is gone when we don't think that way, and pride is now in session. What's the positive command that we see here? See, well, Paul is putting forth this metaphor, so helpful for us to to reframe our thinking about what the body of Christ is supposed to look like, how it's supposed to be displayed, how we work together as a body does, as certain body parts work together, inside and out. The body works beautifully in tandem together when we are, when we are healthy, right? But what happens when our body is sick? There are a few of you coughing tonight. There are a few people that aren't here tonight because they're running fevers and they're sick. It's at that time of year. It's wonderful. Spring is great. And we have, we, we have all these issues, but what does your body do when you are sick? Does the head say, I'm out of here? <laughs> the hands say, I didn't do that. That is, that is your fault, nose or mouth or whatever. You know. No, the body what? What does it do? It tries to care for the, the members that are, that are weak. That's exactly what the Bible tells us to do here. So that there may be no division, verse 25, in the body, but we might have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. Don't say, I have no need of you. Also, what you should say is, let's care for one another in the same way giving abundant honor to the member that lacks, not, not promoting division or strife, but instead looking for ways that we can care for one another. And how do we do that? Well, there's a myriad of ways that we can care for one another, but specifically in this passage, it talks about when a member suffers and when a member is rejoicing. Both ends of the spectrum and everything in between, right? How do we do that? Let me ask you something. Who have you wept with this week? Who have you suffered with this week? This isn't a report card. Okay, I'm just, I'm just asking the question, just rhetorically. Who have you suffered with this week? Who have you wept with? That's, that's a whole new paradigm shift for some of us, right? Give me all the happy people. I'll rejoice with them all day long, but hey, I don't know if I can do the whole... Weeping with someone. But that means we have to get outside of our tunnel vision, even outside of our comfort zone, and think, how can I care for someone else? It's a daunting task, I realize, for one of you to care for the other 500. I I get that. I'm just talking about one other member. One other member who came into this family the same way you did, through the blood of Jesus Christ, who's been redeemed, who is no longer a slave to sin, but is now a child of God, just like you. Do you care for people enough to reach out to them in their time of need? Do you have that on your radar when you gather with the body? I wonder who's suffering today. I wonder who I can encourage today. I wonder if there's someone who really needs, you know, just just someone to pray with. Instead, it's, it's so easy for us to stuff kids in vans and get to the church, get, get to this, this area and, and gather and sing and we're running all over the place instead of going, you know, how can I serve in this way? 
by, by loving someone enough to suffer with them. And also to honor and rejoice. Sometimes this can be difficult. Especially with, if we are in a, we're going through a difficult time ourselves. And someone else gets the promotion. Someone else is having a baby on the way and we wish we were in that situation. Or maybe there's, there's a, a, we're going through a difficult time with the loss of a loved one. And someone else is, is rejoicing over here. It's both sides of the spectrum. And we need one another to come alongside each other in this. Let none of us say, I don't need to listen to people on the other side of the auditorium or outside of my sphere of influence that's here in the Timberlake. Resist that thought. Put it out of your mind. Even if we don't have the same heart on an issue or the same, we don't love the same things, we... Even if, even if you're a Dallas Cowboys fan, okay? It's okay. We can still love you. Even if, even if you just happen to come from a different part of the country, above the Mason-Dixon line, we should still love you anyway. I never forget when my wife, Shannon, was coming to my house to see my family for the first time, the extended family. It's always a wonderful time meeting everybody and having them interview you. But uh, I had to do it too. But when Shannon got into my house, my grandfather knew that she was from Ohio, and he said, he said, you're a Yankee, aren't you? And she says, no, I'm a Cincinnati Reds fan. Just, just went right over his head, you know? She was, she was like, I didn't know the Civil War was still going on, you know? Here in, here in Georgia, where Stephen was born. You know, we still need to, we, we, we need to put that out of our mind and not draw battle lines and be like, well, if you don't have the same preference on music that I have or on how to school your children or how to do, you know, whatever, whatever it is, all the things we draw lines about, those are lines of, potentially, lines of division. doesn't mean you shouldn't have an opinion on those matters, but it shouldn't stop you from loving someone else here in the body. Because if you make that mistake, then at that point of saying, I don't need anybody who doesn't think or act or embrace what I do or what I love. God has composed the body, verse 24. This does not mean that we can't work together. <laughs> doesn't mean that, um, that, there's, that, there's always, that it's always going to be happy and, and, and wonderful. But it does mean that God has composed the body and so we should work together in that. Christ gave himself for us in the gospel, and we are to give ourselves to one another in active service. I promise you we talk about, I love to serve. What does this look like? We see the body of Christ defined. We are called out ones. We came in the same way through Jesus Christ. We were made to drink of one spirit, no hierarchy. Even within the body, we all are to work together. We are to put the truth of God on display. It's the gospel made visible to this lost and dying world. And we're to do that together and not work against one another. But what does it look like indeed? We come together as one unified church every Sunday to worship Christ, the head of the church. We come together to share our lives with one another and give our lives up in sacrificial love for one another. Do you share your life with someone else? 
Are you doing life with someone else? Are you letting them in? Not just to see your, your, uh, your Facebook statuses, <laughs> all right? but your actual life. You know, this is how older are to teach the younger. It doesn't just, it's not like gather up all the young people, put some older person up there and teach them in a Sunday school class and call that older teacher. It's, it's, it's life on life where I'm observing your life and I'm learning from how you have trusted in the Lord, how you have learned humility and learned to persevere even in the toughest times. And you're passing that down to me as a baton of truth, saying this is, Stephen, keep on believing, keep on trusting the Lord, exhorting one another in this, sharing our lives with one another, then giving our lives up to serve. There have been so many times in my life where I've benefited. I've been on one, I've been on one side of the, of the desk, so to speak, and I've been on the other side. And sometimes it's tough. If you're, if you're wired like I am, it's tough to receive. For me, I, I love to give. I love to share my life with others. But when someone says, hey, are, are you doing okay? It's like, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm supposed to be human. I'm, I'm not the Superman person. And there have been so many times in my life where many of you have come alongside me and prayed with me, given us, uh, dropped by our house and given us a meal when, when our son was in the hospital. It's hard to believe it's almost been five years ago now. And how many of you did that for us? and stood with us. Not to get some medal of honor at the end of the semester, good job, here's your plaque, you helped Pastor Stephen. No, it's, it's you did it out of love for our family because you care, you wanted to share, you wanted to weep with me, you wanted to rejoice with me. That's really, this is, I mean, it, it sounds simplistic, but that's really what he's saying here. It means everything we say and everything we do is based on a biblical foundation of love. So you want to see what that looks like? Behind me, I've got two slides, 23 of them. We're not going to go, we're not, just, we're not going to, you know, preach on every single verse, but I want you to see what are the ways that I can live this out. Okay, you talk in broad terms, Pastor Stephen, that's great, uh, using these, um, you know, these statements about sharing my life and giving up my life, but that's pretty nebulous. How do we do it? Well, we don't live for ourselves. We live for the one who died for us. And as we do that, as Romans 15, 7 says, accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you. What you're going to find is all these one another passages, these calls to serve one another, are based on our identity, who we are in Christ and what he's done for us. We are to accept one another, not whether we, uh, we deem them acceptable to us, whether they pass our test. No, we are to accept them as Christ accepts us. Wow, that puts a whole new spin on accepting others. No matter who we are or what we do, we accept them. We are to admonish one another. Build, our, build one another up in our, in our faith, not tear down. We are to let the word of Christ dwell richly in us and teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And then we, that, then, then we proclaim the truth to one another as we sing hymns and psalms and spiritual songs with gratitude in our heart. Word of Christ dwells in us richly, takes up residence in a lavish way, not just, not just in a five-minute microwave version of devotions, but 
dwelling in us richly, where we draw from that well and seek to build one another up. Number three, bear one another's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Bearing up. So many of us, we, we, we think we got it. It's okay, I don't, I don't need help. We need to reach out to one another and accept that help and help allow each other to come up under that load and shoulder it with each other. Now, not to be confused with number four, we are to also bear with one another. Bearing one another's burdens means we pursue out of compassion and love to get up under the load. Bear with one another means staying under that load, even when it hurts. <laughs> Being humble and gentle and patient with one another. It's a constant, steady stream of love and patience. Is this something that you are daily cultivating in your life? Building up one another. Mutual edification. Care for one another. Really care. Not, not, not patronizing, not fault sensitivity, but true care. Comforting one another through tough times. First Thessalonians 4.18 says, Therefore encourage each other or comfort one another with these words about Christ's coming. We're told to do that over and over again. We're actually also commanded to confess to one another. Admit it when you have blown it. Confess. Agree with God that what you have done is sin. And you can actually do that to one another and pray with one another. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Encourage one another. Build each other up. Forgive one another just as Christ forgave you. The Bible says here as well to greet one another. And no, you don't have to do the cultural holy kiss thing, okay? But it does say to greet one another. That means you're looking to do that. And that's not just, you know, Tom and Sandy Gossler's job like it was this morning or whoever is out there greeting and saying hello to everybody. Yes, we have designated greeters, but you guys are all supposed to be greeting one another, looking for one another, accepting one another, forgiving one another, encouraging. We are to be honest with one another. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices. We are to honor one another, speaking good of one another, even when they can't hear us do that. Being hospitable, going out of your way for acts of kindness without grumbling. It's not an imposition. The church here, your members, one with another. It's not an interruption. It's not an imposition to serve one. It's not an inconvenience. Let me just take a time out here. All of this, too, can be applied to your families. Because like it or not, you go home with the church. You are married to the church if your wife or husband is a Christian. You have little pagans in your house called children who need the gospel. You can put it on display for them all the time. So many opportunities to apply this. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Is that your position toward each other? You say, well, okay, Pastor Steve, I see all these commands here, but when are you going to talk about a program? I mean, how can I, you know, how can I serve someone in some tangible way? This is what we're talking about. This is what service to one another looks like. It's the body of Christ working in tandem with each other. And when one suffers, we weep and suffer. When someone rejoices, we rejoice with them. 
And in the midst of all that are all of these one another passages of how we do that. We are to love one another. Owe no man anything except to love one another. Members of one another. Romans 12.5 So in Christ we are to who, who form one body and we are members that belong to one another. We are bigger than we are part of something that's bigger than ourselves. We are to pray for one another. We are to be of the same mind with one another. May, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. Serve one another. Not with an agenda, not for selfish ambition like Philippians 2 tells us and warns us about. No, we've been called to do what? Through love, serve one another. And that serve word is to be a slave, to be enslaved to one another. That means I have no will of my own. I serve my master Christ and I am willing to lay my life down for you. We are to spur one another on. Consider how we may provoke one another. And some of you, we do that very well, right, at times. We do provoke one another at times. But let's finish the rest of the verse. To what? Unto love and good works. We are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Hopefully you're getting this tonight. Hopefully you're seeing how we are to serve with one another, how we are to work together as a church. Hopefully you're seeing that we are to display, this is how we are going to display God's truth to the world. Remember what Jesus said? Remember what he said to his disciples in the upper room? In John 13, verse 35. The world will know what? That you're my disciples? Because what? Because you have love for one another. As we, are, as we are this pillar and ground of the truth, as we seek to, to um, take the gospel to the ends of the earth, as we seek to be this body of Christ that truly is representative of who Jesus is, we are to take these one another passages and begin thinking of how can I apply that? Who can I accept today? Who can I submit to today? Who can I honor today? Who can I pray for today? Who can I be of the same mind with today? Who can I love and be kind and compassionate to today? Who can I be devoted to and love? Who can I be honest with? Who can I confess my faults to? Who can I build up? Who can I bear up under with? Who can I admonish? Ask yourself these these questions. Look at these passages. Ask God to drive these truths down into your heart so that you begin living them out within this wonderful organism called the body of Christ. And then at that point, you will understand what it means, and I will understand, hopefully, what it means to love, to serve. Because it's not about me, it's not about my membership card, it's not about all my privileges, it's not about what I want. It starts to step away from, from me being at the center to now wait a minute, I'm, 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 a, I'm part of the body of Christ. I'm part of something bigger than just me and my preferences and my wants and my desires. I'm a part of what Jesus is doing. And he's called me to serve each other. We live in a selfish world. Society tells us to think of ourselves, do whatever it takes 
to win. Look out for number one. Jesus commanded us to, through love, serve one another. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, I thank you for this familiar passage. I realize I was not unveiling anything new tonight. I realize, Lord, these are, these are truths that have been taught over and over to us. But Lord, it's not enough for us just to hear it. It's not enough just for us to agree with it. It's not enough, Lord, for us just to absorb more truth and then walk out of here, looking at ourselves in the mirror and walking out of here unchanged. Lord, I pray that we would be effectual doers. We would look at ministry not as a program to be involved in, but as people work. We would look at serving as something that we do for one another without any thought of what we get out of it, but instead, Lord, who we're doing it for, and that is the head of the church, Jesus Christ. Lord, you've called us to be servants. You've given us, in this church, Lord, so many different kinds of people, different backgrounds, different cultures, different preferences. And Lord, you've called us to be one. In fact, that was your prayer in John 17, that we would be one, just like you and the Father are one. We realize it's not about thinking the same way about everything, loving the same things, Lord. Instead, Lord, it's about being unified around your truth. And so, Lord, I pray for our church. I pray, Lord, that we would have gospel unity, that we would pull in the same direction, the direction that you give us in your word, your marching orders for the church. And I pray, Lord, that you would, in the midst of that, cultivate a culture here, an atmosphere of love and devotion, that we would not be able to get through another week to the next we wouldn't be able to get through the next seven days without reaching out to one another. That every person here who is suffering would have someone to weep with them. That every person who is rejoicing would have someone to rejoice with. That we would look for ways to have the same care for one another as you've commanded. And then properly display your truth to be that pillar and ground of the truth. In Jesus' name, amen.